You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Matt, I don't think we've spoke in 20 years, 18 years. I don't think we've seen each other since college. Ooh, uh... Yeah. No, when we both lived in Madison. When you were in Madison, we met up for a few runs. We got together. So, but still, 17? Yeah, it's been a long... 16 years? Because you were in Madison probably 05? I was in Madison until 2000, 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I left somewhere around there. Been a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably been, yeah, 08, 07. So, but still, yeah, so 16, 17 years. It's good to see you. Bracken, I know yeah. you guys, didn't you guys Time bump flies. into each other? like a year or two ago yeah. in chicago at high rocks yeah and you messaged me after the first one yep uh back in uh january 2020 i was going through results uh for some age group athletes i worked with and everyone was like a guy i thought was a real solid machine guy like on the skier he was ranked whatever in the skier and i'm like who is faster than that and then i looked at it I'm like oh i know that name and i text kirk right i'm like matt ran a high rocks He's like, that's awesome. How'd he do? I'm like, well, it's your first one. No one does well, but he did one. That's awesome. I was, it was it was just a blast from the past. Kirk and I were talking a little while ago about, uh, you know, he's he's been on national TV and all that stuff, but he fanboyed the first time he met Ryan Atkins and Lindsey Webster at the airport because it was someone in his circle that he looked up to. And I don't fanboy often, but when I saw <laughs> you on that result, I was like, oh my goodness, because... At Whitewater, you are a facility record holder up on the wall, and you were out of college before I got in, so you were like this mythological creature in our conference. And so every single interval session I ever ran, every every rest period was spent staring up at facility records every time we came around the bend. So I looked at your name, I mean, probably 10,000 <laughs> times during college. And then so like wow. that was my moment. I. We've met Olympians and you know peep movie stars and what, but but Matt staring at his record that was like my little butterfly flutter in my stomach. Well, the, the WEAC circle, the WEAC right. connections are, are so real. I'm all a, I'm all a flutter today. <laughs> well, uh, can we tell your audience though um, about the thirty fifty uh, sled pull? Thirty minutes and fifty seconds <laughs> it took me to do the sled pull in the pro category. Is that, that, is that thirty minutes? Is what it was. It took me almost 31 minutes and, and I was working the entire time <laughs> and that destroyed me and humbled me. Um, was that, yeah, it took me almost 31 minutes. That was back with the long pole, right? That wasn't four lengths. That was two. Okay. So yeah. Cause I, I, if you would have told me what does OCR mean then I, I had no idea. I, I, I knew something. I knew I was familiar with like Kirk doing Spartan stuff. And mm-hmm. I knew, I know some people that have done that and like tough mutters and stuff like that. Um, but I didn't know that like obstacle course racing um, was like a thing. And that, that that's who a lot of these people were that into this hybrid thing. Um, I literally saw like a Facebook post from concept two in the fall announcing that, like there's this thing that they're sponsored or that they're partnered with because they're using their machines in high rocks. And I, at that point was still rowing has a lightweight, um, which I'll touch on. And, uh, and I was like, Oh, 
this would be my wheelhouse. I can get back into running and I could do some of these functional exercises mm -hmm. and, you know, started doing like the sled stuff. And there was always like little chatter online about this, the sleds and how, um, the carpet makes it trickier than what you would think. And so I, I was like, okay, I can do this. I'm, I was putting probably a couple hundred pounds on top of what the race, the event weight was going to be. Um, but man, <laughs> was I not prepared and nor, I mean, but I, I, that, and the reason I want to start with that though, is because I think your audience would, some folks that haven't delved into high rocks yet might relate a little bit because it's like, I, I, that was very humbling yet. It, it shifted my direction of fitness dramatically because I got done with that. And I was like, I want to do this again and I want to come back and conquer this, these demons mm -hmm. that got me. And, and that's not really my, necessarily my mentality. I would say years ago, I probably would have been like, ah, oh, this isn't my thing. I'll go find something else. That's my jam. Um, and then Deco was like announced and I was like, oh, that could be fun. I could do that too. And so I started focusing on adding a little bit of bulk and then COVID hit, mm -hmm. but Man, I got done with that. I, I was wrapping the rope around my arm, trying to find a way to get that thing to move. I looked like, I, I'm sure people that saw me at the hotel after, because we took the whole family down. My wife still will probably never go to another one again because, you know, I'm like, oh, take me like an hour and 10, hour and 15 minutes maybe. And then, you know, hour and 45 minutes of her wrangling the kids in this arena. Um, but yeah, my like arms, just like these marks going up and down my arms. Cause I was just like, people probably looked at me like, what kind of trauma did that guy just come from? And, uh, oh, I was hurting and I've, and I've done an Ironman. Was your wife and kids sitting there at the sled pole? Um, and about 20 minutes in, what was, what did they have any words of encouragement anymore? Or what was that? What was that? What was going on there? <laughs> no, Lord, no. Lord, no. I think my daughter was five and my son was two and she was, Molly was probably six months pregnant or not quite that far along, but we were, um, ex she was expecting our third at that point. And she's like schlepping them around the arena. And uh, no, there, I, there wasn't any encouragement at that point. They were probably like, dad, can you just quit and get this over with? Um, dad, you used to be my hero, but now I'm not sure. Part of it too is I, I was in this time warp too. It didn't seem, I mean, it seemed long. Don't get me wrong. And I'm seeing people come and go, you know, and they go in waves. So it's like, who, who knows what wave I ended up leaving the thing with, if, if any. And I don't know if there were any at that point. Um, but it was, you know, time was a little, but it's probably a little frozen in time for me. And, and, and then afterward, I looked at him like, holy cow, 30, almost 31 minutes. For anyone who isn't familiar with what Matt's talking about, the third station of a Hyrox, fourth station of a Hyrox competition is a sled pull. And back in the day, they used to use a 25 meter rope with flex in it. And it's already heavy and slippery, but it, everyone talks about how tough the sleds are, but until you feel it one time, you don't know what tough means or like what type of tough it is. And so like an, an elite high level sled pull is about three to three and a half minutes. And you spend 30 minutes and the quitting point's usually about seven or eight. Like after seven or eight, your arms are gone. Your forearms are gone. You can't even squeeze the rope. And it's a thick rope. It's a battle rope. So your your fingers and forearms blow out quick. So the fact that someone spent 31 minutes on the sled pull is just like, I don't know if it's ever occurred before, but especially as we're going to find out for a very, very high level athlete, it's, 
It w- I saw it and I thought it was a timing mistake. And then I looked ahead to see what your row was. And I thought, no, like he, he actually blew himself out here. This is outrageous. The fact that you stuck through it though, was kind of cool. I, I'm, I love the high rocks event. I, I think it's an ingenious concept. Um, it's, and as somebody that my, my background and I, strength training is, was never my jam and never my love. I neglected to do any of it in college and, um, you know, and, I, who knows, maybe it could have changed some trajectory of like my running mm-hmm. in the past, but whatever. Um, but it's just a new, maybe being, yeah, in my forties now, it's just a new challenge to take on a uh, new world. Um, but it also allows just, you're training all these different types of, you're, you're putting your body through completely different things. Um, and just keeping it fresh. The training is fresh. Um, I love it. And I look forward to doing more of them because I only have done two. Um, and I saw you because I saw you again at the North American Championships mm-hmm. in uh, Chicago. And you cut how many minutes off? Well, so that I was kind of bummed about all that because I, I spent three years, over three years uh, to basically not. I mean, I delved in different things, which we'll get into, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, uh, but really in the back of my mind was like, I cannot wait to get back into a high rocks event at that pro division and just crush those sled stations Mm -hmm. and so a lot of like the lead up was based on power and to come back and and prove myself that i can i can go through this event really well and and it was just kind of a stepping stone to me was to do the chicago event um i looked at a little bit of again the online chatter because that's all you're kind of getting when you're uh just following the stuff from from the sidelines and and i seen a couple forums discussing the the open division weights and it it seemed like the consensus was that that it was going to be consistent with the weights that are in the pro division and that it was going to be pro weights and when i got there i think it was a local buddy of mine jake viz uh was doing a pairs and he said oh you guys will have the same weights as us and i was like oh so we're not getting the pro weights um so it took a little bit of luster out of it um because, you know, because I was competing with uh, open weights. So everybody was, though. For those that aren't, um, it was just the Elite 15 that had the pro-level weights, which are a bit higher, which is what I struggled with three years ago. And uh, so we were doing open category. And, yeah, but, I mean, the nice thing is, though, you look at the the rankings. And, and it was a big race. I mean, it was mm-hmm. um, 330 guys in the men's field. And I think... I was definitely top 20 for both sleds. Um, so you imagine, so I can at least take that and be like, okay, if we did the pro pro weights, I would probably stack up close to those numbers. Yeah. Cause I don't feel like I felt like I was doing it strategically, but it was just, it was kind of a mental change. And I wasn't the only one that there was a few guys I was talking to on the cool down that had that guys that flew in from California that was also thinking pro weights and was surprised to see that it was um, open weights. Right. So I never, I still, so I'm still looking to, <laughs> for my redemption on those, on those sleds. You going this fall? Yeah. Oh yeah. Chicago, Chicago again. And I may I just penciled it in. I may. Oh, awesome. And then, uh, Pencil. I might, I might say I've never, I have not, I haven't done any events. Well, Chicago high rocks are the only things that I've done since, uh, since my track days that have been out of state. Um, but mm. I may, I may piggyback the next weekend planning to fly down to Dallas and do that as well. Because I, because that's the thing. It's like, I've raced so little that I should gear up and have two shots at it, two cracks at it. Yeah. Um, Cause the season is kind of uh, limited and I'm not going to fly time zones away. So um, this might be something that I'll 
I'll do as a training. That's what it seems like if you, uh, the athletes who put together like an, a hybrid racing season where they're like getting after it fairly regularly for two, three, four races, not too far apart. That's where you really break through. It's that, it's that turning it into a season. Um, can I, uh, can I slow us down and maybe set yeah. the stage a little bit for us, Matt? Is that cool? Absolutely. Yeah. I just wanted to get the 3050 <laughs> out there because I feel like folks, I, cause one of my favorite episodes is the Diane Miller one. Yeah. Uh, awesome. The Diane Miller episode mm-hmm. is great. And I just, I just, I really appreciated her insight and I also don't want people to like, be like, click, uh, this guy has a fast mm-hmm. background and I, I do think that, that. Uh, I've learned so much from from those episodes. I love that. 3050. If you asked me, if you told me, Kirk, when we were sitting in college, that we somehow had met each other and had a running podcast someday, and you said, guess what you're interviewing Matt about? I wouldn't be like, probably some sort of strength-based competition. <laughs> so you're right. We got to get back to yeah. the roots before we make our way back to what we're doing now. Speaking of Diane Miller, she's coming to watch me. I have, uh, I have a trail race this weekend, Matt. I'm chasing the master's course record on uh, – one of the local trail races. Diane's coming out to cheer me on. Oh, I know. She's coming out on course. She's gonna be out there. So nice. Diane, Diane will see you this weekend. Get after it. Is is ever is the smoke clear for you? I was gonna ask you that. Is this is are you guys? No, it's a mess. In, okay. And and but do you, are you optimistic that'll clear and after? Yeah. The only the only unfortunate thing is so I actually after we're done recording I got to go home for my grandmother's funeral in Green Bay and she's ninety six had a good life it just oh, you know it was her time enough. but anyways I'm going back home to Green Bay where the AQI is like two fifty right now so I'm gonna go follow the smoke home and th- so it's like not great but I think it should be clear here by Saturday morning so. You guys are bad over there, aren't you, right now? Wonderful. Mm-hmm. We're terrible right now. I, I'm oblivious to things like this, I think, and I time-trialed on Monday. I did a three-round time-trial sim of a 3K course, 1K, 1K, then I did a 2.5K, and I felt like I'd been poisoned for the entire rest of the day. I was wheezing. I was hacking. My, I, I felt like hungover slash poisoned for like 12 to 18 hours. And I got back in the truck afterwards. I'm like, I didn't feel too bad during, but right away I'm like instantly sick. Is this an allergy thing? And I look down and my phone's like 261. This this oh. number tells you it's not good. And I don't know what the numbers mean, but it was a terrible choice. So now I'm, I'm trying to respect it and only do treadmill workouts until this clears. All right. Sorry, guys. I'll be quiet now and I'll listen to questions. We, we always know it's a good episode when we look at the audio files afterwards and our guest has spoken exponentially more than us. That's the goal. So, so far... The ratio is appropriate. Okay. But uh, so Matt, Matt and I go back to college. We both went to uh, Matt Gross, which is confusing to me because it looks like it'd be pronounced Gross, but it is Gross, right? That's always what we called you, Matt Gross. Answer it either. I'll answer it either, but it's okay. Gross, but even I'm not sure why. <laughs> Fair. I can't explain my last name pronunciation either. It's true. <laughs> Should be an H in there. Yeah. Or just C-R-O, like Betty. Quit distracting me. Never. We went to school together in Oshkosh. Um, Matt, I believe you were a D1 University of Wisconsin transfer. You went to Wisconsin as a freshman and might not have been a good culture fit. Uh, you were like a D1 recruit and you, and you went to Oshkosh in your sophomore year, correct? Uh, I went to Oshkosh first. Oh, you did? And I transferred to Madison. Yep. Transferred to Madison. Yep. Wisconsin, UW. And then after one semester, transferred back. Um and yeah, yep. And, uh, uh, partially athletics, uh, yeah, big fish in a little pond and little fish in a big pond. There's some of that. Um, I was the first college graduate in my 
family. So they're also, you know, they knew they can only do what they could, but, uh, you know, this was uncharted territory for them, even going to Oshkosh. So, uh, it was a big, big jump in many ways. Um, and for those too, I mean, those that aren't familiar, our state school system, which we all, we all went to, um, it's extremely affordable. Um, but there is a jump going to Madison, uh, and at that time, a couple grand, uh, and that made a big deal. Uh, the summer leading up to going to Madison, I was working at a Pepsi bottling plant. Actually, they just basically stacked bottles. Um, but I was working seven at night to seven in the morning, three days on, three days off, two nights on, two nights off. And, you know, try to, you know, to make that gap. So as far as the, uh, college tuition goes and, you know, it just was tricky. And, but then I realized I had a good, good fit back at Oshkosh and, transferred back and yeah and continued on doing fine we had a um we had a good group of guys there in hindsight it felt special at the time anyways um i don't know maybe everybody feels like that about their college teammates but we were national champions in cross country while you were there I believe we were runners up at track nationals once or twice um but bracken mentions doing workouts at whitewater and seeing your name up on the facility record board at ten thousand times and it was like I stared at your ass and your back 10,000 times in every workout we did in every training session and absolutely everything. And you're a much bigger stature than me. You're taller. So I always had this, this tall, beautifully strided figure in front of me constantly in training. And, you know, I was more like shorter stocky, had like the quick turnover and you just had like that stride that everybody, I think everybody wants, but nonetheless, you were multi-time national champ in Division Three. I don't know how many national championships did you win between indoor and outdoor? Four individual and a distance medley relay one time. Okay. You uh, you flirted with the four-minute mile in college. What was your best time? 4.01. Did you crack 3.59? No. Um, I My best in college was 4.03 high, 4.037. Okay. My lifetime best is four flat. Point one one. <laughs> Does that eat at you? I asked someone else that recently who was like four flat point oh two. Does it eat at you? And they said no. They said that was that was a moonshot already. I know I couldn't have got any more, but does it eat at you that point one one? Uh it does. Um did back in the day a lot more. Um because my, my fifteen hundred is like three forty two point one. Um, which equates comfortably, I mean, like 359 even, um, something like that. And I, yeah, um, the tricky thing was, so that was out of college a couple of years. Um, I just kept getting into races. This is me at the time. Looking back, I, I kept getting into races that just, like I ended up being kind of the one pushing the pace for the second half of it and, you know, just trying to get in the right race, um, especially you don't run the mile that often. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it just, yeah, it just was hard to get. I know I would have had the couple tenths in me, um, but, yeah, just hard to find the right race because uh, unlike, unlike the other person you're talking about, I mean, I, I had a slew of 401s and 402 um, post collegiately. So every, every crack I made, I was pretty close. Mm, yeah. um, and my 1500s were consistently in the, you know, 342, 343 range, just never really made that big jump. 
was probably pressing a little bit too. I mean, I was working and in retail and a barista in the morning and then trying to train and keep this, you know, running lifestyle going as long as possible. And, you know, we just keep thinking, Oh, breakthrough and, you know, get like a shoe contract, which would have been like five grand, which would have been life changing for me at that Mm -hmm. time. And it just, you know, but it just never, you know, and, and honestly, if I would have been on the other side of, four flat, that type of stuff probably wasn't going to come anyway, but you know, yeah, it would have been nice, but it's a good story. Um, I was, uh, my hall of fame speech at Oshkosh was really nice. Cause I was sitting at the podium and I basically told the audience, you know, my lifetime goal was to break four minutes. And basically you're looking at the width of the podium and that's, that's, you know, over the course of a mile, that's when I missed it by. Wow. It's agonizing. Uh, I can't help it. Every time I think of a time, I think of Jeremy Bogard. And I've said this on here before, but at a twilight meet, he ran 149.9999 and they have to round it up. So he ran 150.00. Harsh. <laughs> and it's like, you can't be any, and for the 800 meters, like 149 is the holy grail of like moving to the next tier of running. And then it goes down from there, but he, and he never broke. That was his lifetime PR is 150.00. But my brother <laughs> was at lacrosse at the time and in the timing tent and they were sitting there looking at it like... This guy's going to be upset, but like, yeah, we have yeah. to go up. So he doesn't have a 149. But those people who are tenths and hundredths away are just dealing in a different plane of running than most of us deal with, where you're talking about the width of a podium. Like I was, I was three feet away from my lifetime goal in a race. That's just when you start being able to quantify the inches you missed it by, that's, that's heart-wrenching. Yeah, yeah. And and to piggyback on all of that, to be honest with you, even if I had run 359, I would have gone back on the following Monday, hit the track saying, all right, 355. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, it's a, I mean, you can't, nobody's ever going to finish the mile or any track event at zero across the board. Yeah. It's a moving target. <laughs> it is. And it, it's an interesting mentality we we all share. Yeah, you uh, you also ran. What was it? Um, just to build up your accolades, and I'm going to walk you through what happened after college through my eyes, and then I got questions for you. But um, 147 and change was that your lifetime best in the eight? 47 and change. Yep, yep. Uh, I believe 147.6. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very very respectable numbers in D3 at the time. You were the only one doing that until Nick Simmons came along. And then Nick Simmons, who ended up being a U.S. Olympian, uh, started contesting some of your records and times and numbers. But now D3 is a little different. I actually want to get your opinion on that later on. The numbers these guys are putting out is ridiculous. But um, from my understanding, so we graduated Oshkosh. You were hands down the best runner on the squad on the track. Um, And you had a good head on your shoulders. I feel like you were humble the entire time. You You led by example. Like you were, you were really the way like you should, a high end runner should be no ego. Like just, I had a lot of admiration for you. Then life happens. We go our separate ways, right? We don't talk for years. Maybe we stay in the loop with each other on social media a little bit. I saw you were racing after college and then I don't know where, but all of a sudden this rowing stuff started popping up where Matt Gross is on the rower now, and I don't know how that happened. And then Matt Gross is setting records on the rower all of a sudden. And so suddenly I was like, huh, he made a transition, and which which I, I admired because I very much did the same thing. Suddenly I'm carrying sandbags up a mountain, and I was a traditional runner, right? I made a hard pivot as well. And there's not many guys, Matt, still getting after it these days. I don't know if you've noticed 
But 20 years post-collegiately, there's not too many of us out there really chasing it. And you were really chasing it. And then I saw you jumped into a high rocks and all of that. And I'm like, wow, so this guy's this guy's trajectory has obviously pivoted over the years. And I have no idea how any of that happened in between. All I know is Matt Gross was a stud collegiate runner, chased it for a bit. Yeah. And now suddenly we're here talking to you and you've done a high rocks and you have some row, you have rowing records for your weight class, like national records, I believe. Like we need to dissect all of that. Like, I don't know what happened in these 15 to 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> what happened, Matt? How'd this all happen? Sure. Sure. Um, well, um, so I'll, I'll try my best to go through the timeline. Um, I kept running post-collegiately on the track. Um, finished, uh, oddly enough, I, uh, well, I shouldn't say, because small world, I mean, not small world at all. It's just elite fields. But I raced Nick Simmons quite a bit post-collegiately. My, my 800 PR, I was second to him at the one of the Nashville, I think, music, car, mu- track music, car, music city carnival, I think it's called. Um, I think they still do it. Um, but uh, he and I went one, two, um, beat a pretty strong field there. And, uh, that's kind of, he kind of continued to progress. Um, my last race on the track was indoors the following year at U S championships, 800. He and I both made the final. He won. I think I took fifth. Um, I came back to Wisconsin, got mono and never looked back. Never went back to the track. Who, who gets mono post collegiately? I didn't know that was a thing. Dude, it was horrible. Wow. It, it, yeah, it was rough. And apparently I did. <laughs> but like, and uh, so that, because I was out for a couple of weeks and yeah, it was just, like I said earlier, just, you know, you're just scraping by mm-hmm. and it was time to, you know, uh, move on from that. And because uh, I met, I was at the time dating my now wife. And, um, so I, um, was working for my sister at fleet feet and then she owns a couple stores in Madison. And then I actually left the running shoe store and started working at Trek, Trek bicycle corporations headquartered in Waterloo. Do you know Eric Keen? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. I was really good. Yeah. He started working there about a year in when I was there and yeah, we were good friends, good buddies. Kirk, he was my like uh, mentor, I guess you'd say, figure mm. in college. Eight hundred guy, one fifty one, uh, but he was he was a junior se- senior when I came in. It was all American and kind of our our top dog currently. And yeah, he worked at Trek. Small world again. Yeah, yeah. And don't worry, I'm getting to the point here with the rowing, uh, Kirk. And then still- <laughs> no, I've, we're in no rush. Yeah. So and then I, so when I was at Trek, naturally, naturally, I got into cycling and triathlon and my wife's family was also into into road riding so i kind of took on that and did that for a couple years and then fast forward to when we had our daughter who is turning nine soon and i basically then was like not really going to be competing anymore definitely wasn't going to do triathlon Mm -hmm. and i decided to just take a step back from all that stuff ran with her in the running stroller when my daughter was a baby and i think we got like over a thousand miles on this like running stroller throughout the years so stayed with it um but then when i started looking like okay i'm getting bored with like running on the stroller and she's getting big for it needs to like branch out so then i started going to a fitness center that had childcare and i'm so i should probably back up a little bit there was also this abyss socially because my wife was in medical school and I was working full time while she was going through med school. Um, so by the time we had my daughter, she was in residency. 
this was all in Madison. She did all her training and, and learning here. Um, but the, when my daughter was born, I quit my job at the time to be a full-time at-home dad. So when I got, so that's why I was like running during the day with her in the stroller and eventually looked for a place that I could take her, that she could have like childcare while I worked out. And so I started doing this, these like boot camps at this, uh, it's called Transformation Center in Madison. And I'm not kidding you. It was me and moms. I think it was even called Fit Moms for Life or something for a while. And so I was going there for a couple of years and it was great. I mean, I didn't, I mean, I was like all about the workouts. I was like, just, this is great. And like my daughter's playing with other kids while, and you know, it just, this was a good fit for me. And one of the trainers there, um, he one time, cause they, they had the concept two machines there. I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I was just a hack on those machines. And, uh, but he started seeing like that I was like pushing decent numbers on the rowing machine. And he was like, you know, your body type, you're probably a pretty strong rower. Have you ever looked at like the, the list? They actually have these like lists for and records and stuff that the company keeps. I was like, oh. And so I started looking at that stuff and I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. <laughs> Which is funny because anyone new to rowing looks at those and think, how could you ever possibly go that fast mm-hmm. on a rower? <laughs> well, so you had to have some right from the start. You had to have been putting out good numbers. Correct, correct. But but like I was when I when I say hack, I say like the form and stuff. I was right. like in cadence and stuff. I was all over the place. Um, but the thing that like struck of luck was I I never really gained. I mean, I'm a thin guy. You said earlier, Kirk, that this tall, lanky guy. Yeah, I'm six foot three. But I never, up to that point in my life, I was never above 165 pounds. I was always like floating on the low 160s. And the cutoff for lightweight for Concept 2's categories is 165 pounds. So I was like, oh, this is great. I'm like at the sweet spot because weight definitely plays a factor. And so I started going to another gym in addition to the one with the, with that also had childcare, it's like, you know, it's like, it's the only, you get a limit, you know, it's like you get like one hour to have your kid there. So I'd have multiple options. And uh, I started going to this other one and then doing primarily rowing workouts after my running and, and, uh, started being like, wow, I'm getting fairly close to some of these times. And, uh, I found that my sweet spot on the rower was that one K and that record seemed to be somewhat, this was, I was in the 30 to 39 category at that age group at that time. And so I told the guy at the mom gym, I was like, Hey, I think I can get this record. Let's like, and one of the ways that you can like verify it is a video. And, uh, so we set up this thing and had me do this, uh, rowing 1k and was able to get my my first american record and uh yeah took it from there what was that record the lightweight man it was like the record i think was in the 306 and i think i brought it down to 3049 for 1k and uh yeah yeah 304 and it sits right in between that 800 and mile kind of mm-hmm. correct like, yeah 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 you're probably a good 1200 meter runner and that that sits just a little longer than a good 1200 so it's a good duration for your engine yeah yeah oh yeah yeah it was a sweet spot and then i um i started doing uh gosh so, so you know what though and then that was this is funny um looking back on all this I, that was like a month before i think i heard of high rocks Cause that would have been 2019, like August, I think August. Or Can I interrupt real quick, Matt? Please. Yeah. Go. Um, just to understand the timeline then. So the last time you competed 
in let's say a high-end track race what year was that oh seven oh seven okay and then you didn't really chase time let's call it until this first erg attempt in anything is that is that true so when was that then that would have been in 2019 so about okay. a 12 year gap yeah and i would say that's fair that i didn't i i was pretty competitive locally with triathlon but i i mean i was i wasn't really like I, I, I'm, let's say I'm spending way more time in off-season high rocks training right now, like volume of time, than I ever was doing with triathlon training, even for an Ironman. And that's even counting like the long hours on the bike. Because hmm. I just wasn't, I was, you know, I, I, yeah, I just wasn't as interested in, I wasn't as motivated. Now it's like I scrape for like any free time and I'm using it to work out. It's just, it's kind of my... My escape. I drop my kids off at childcare and I work out. And now I, I hide them here and I work out. <laughs> yeah, it's true. They know I love them. Like, but, but it is. It is. It's kind of. I should. Be, that's why I'm like moving. That's why I'm moving back and forth right now on the roar. <laughs> like, if you want to hit a workout while we record, go right. Go right ahead. You want to hit some repeats? Well, I did do. <laughs> that I um don't tempt me, but um I know I and. You know, I was thinking, so I, I listen to a, a lot of your podcasts um, when I'm working out and, and, it, and a lot of it is a familiarity to Kirk and I did, and you're a good dude. So I, I, I enjoy it. And, uh, and then I know a lot of the same circles that you do. So mm-hmm. it's fun. And, uh, it, but I, when I started listening to him again, I was like, holy cow, people still hit the track for workouts. And uh, I've done, <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day, cause I was like, they're going to talk about track stuff. Um, February. February of 2007 in Boston was that last 800 race that I did. I did two proper track sessions sometime before I did Ironman in 2011 with uh, this uh, random group of people that I'd meet at the Madison track. So four years later, I did a random track session. I can't even tell you what it was, but it was something, you know, uh, longer. And then, and then it wasn't until 2007 before my son was born, that I did the Wisco Mile. Mm. And and, and uh, literally had not stepped on a track until that, well, I coached some track stuff, but didn't participate in the track event until that Wisco Mile and did, and did proper track session. And then did the Wisco Mile, and then I haven't been on a track since. <laughs> So it's like, I'm just doing all my stuff like right. around like bike path or uh, like, like trails and stuff like that are nearby and being like, okay, like this seems like, you know, I even had a measuring wheel for a while and wheel stuff out and be like, okay, I'll do some 200. I just bought one. I get as accurate as possible. And it was terrible. I found out I was like 12 meters short on my go-to loop. <laughs> well, but... And it's a 200 meter loop. It's a really 188. So if I'm doing a thousand, I'm not 12 meters Oops. short. I'm closer to 60. So it was not good for the old ego. Well, but I don't know. Sorry if I, I like went on the tangent there, but it was just, yeah, you, there were these big light, light, big life gaps. But I, I, I tell you there, I don't, it wasn't necessarily that a, there wasn't necessarily a specific fire burning ever, but there was always, you know, just a desire to keep challenging myself mm-hmm. and keep doing something. And I, but I didn't necessarily need to go and do a proper race for it. Um, and, and then it just kept me in decent shape. And when I find, when I started doing like the rowing machine, I had a good engine and, and, and also I, and I won't, I won't sugarcoat it. I had the body type for it. And, and, and funny enough, it wasn't even just the gentleman at my coach at, at the gym that, suggested there were other people that would come up to me like you look like you'd be a good rower and, I was, and honestly I, there, I, there was one day i was like i'm sick of hearing this i'll fine i'll jump on the rower 
not that I'm like a please, no, but thank you. Who knows where they are now? But it's like, fine, I'll try this thing. And 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 that that just took me, yeah, like to a different world that I wasn't familiar to. And luckily, uh, we had so I bought a used rowing machine just before I did that time trial in 2019. Uh, we got a ski erg in our house. Um, because we had one of those at that gym too. And I was like, oh, I should have one of these because it's nice to jump on. Well, and then COVID hit and I had these machines in our house. And like I said, I kind of came off of doing high rocks and was like, I need to get back at this sled and, and tackle that demon. And then it was like putting on like at the time, like trying to bulk up and, you know, knowing that I needed to increase my strength. And then, yeah, COVID hit two months later, which... I can allude to a little bit more like within our household, but the fact that I already had these machines and then it was like, okay, I'm just going to like focus on, on doing these concept two machines until the pandemic wanes. Mm. And, you know, and then instead it was three years until I did my next high rocks <laughs> and a lot in between. Cause you're talking about the rowing, but I probably am a stronger skier. Huh. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Your, um, your timeline actually sort of, uh, reminds me of mine, to be honest, a little bit, because after college, well, I had about, I got sick and I had a tough couple of years and I didn't compete and all that. But then I just kept the the groove greased. Like I, I worked out and ran, I hit a few local five K's. I never let it go, but I never had a focus either for a decade. Right. And then suddenly I saw Spartan race on TV one day and I was like, oh, my God, I am motivated to train for something with purpose again. And now because I never let it go for a decade, much like you. Sure, you went out with the bob and the stroller and put your time in and you had other focuses, seasons of life, as I call it, which is and now you're back on the back end of that with like, hey, I never let my engine go and I'm still very capable. And now you have like a renewed, I don't know, like you have another focus, which is nice, which I have as as well. And I think how dang glad I am that I just kind of put my shoes on every day or every other day and hit the gym every other day for a decade without purpose, because now I'm sitting here at 40, hoping to break 15 minutes in a 5k, right? Like it's, you never really knew what you were. Mm -hmm. I didn't know why I was working out other than it was habit. It made me feel good. Right. And then it's, it's just nice because not nobody in particular stands out to me, but a lot of our past classmates, like they let it go for too long and now they're running two minutes per mile slower than they used to, because they just had too much time in there where they weren't doing anything. And me and you, another teammate of ours, like Dave Shashesky, I don't know if you follow what he's doing on, on his races and stuff, but like there's yeah, 226 at Boston. Yeah. And 226 at Boston at 41. He just turned 42, I think. Just like there's a handful of us who got lucky, I feel like. Like, sure, we met it halfway, but it just it just reminds me of myself. Like now we're we're still getting after it at 40 and it's kind of cool because you set yourself up to do well because you're like, oh, I got lucky and I stumbled on the rower and now I'm pretty good at it. But it's like, yeah, but like every day you still worked out for a decade. Sure, you weren't chasing times, but you stayed on it is all I'm saying. And now you still have the ability to go out and perform, which I think is is pretty cool. It's a rarity. Matching with uh, matching a passion with a skill set that we have. But that isn't necessarily, you know, because I think about that like, well, if I were and, and Dave, I think Dave Krzyzewski, I think is actually kind of anomaly because he's also a he's an er doc Mm -hmm. and so it's like to talk about you know being i mean you have to be all in on that as well um and for me i i especially like those early years when i was jumping around to different jobs having a hard time in college too trying to figure out like where 
where am I going with this? Where am I going to end up? And it just wasn't hard to, I just didn't have a passion that lined up with stable career to call it, to just be blunt about it. And so it's, it's, so I'm always kind of a little bit careful to like wonder where somebody's at, at our age fitness wise, because they may, they just may be putting all that passion into something else that's equally worthwhile, but just not in the fitness world. 100%. And, you know, and so I ended up graduating from Oshkosh with exercise science, health promotion major, and basically I just do that for my, applying a lot of that for myself. Um, but I also wonder, you know, if, if fate has it in such a way that I'm also able to support my wife who is talented in a non-fitness endeavor and be kind of her rock and stability at home as she's the the go-getter outside the house and and not and I don't have any shame in that because I'm like you know I, I I take what I do really seriously and thus you know on the surface it'd be like oh that guy's got the you know how that guy swing that that gig you know he watches the kids and then can just work out whenever he wants and it's like well there's definitely some benefits to it but I also am very cognizant of not taking advantage of that or creating like a, like allowing seeds of resentment to grow because I'm like dabbling in like my fitness hobbies and neglecting my, my role in the household. And so it's also just being very, very careful. Um, I mean, for instance, I've been up since three ten this morning, uh, cause I'm, I'm the one that's, that's helping with our toddler when he's having a rough night. And I was up with him at one and then he was like, begging me to stay in his room and trying to nip that in the bud. But, and so I ended up staying in his room. And then at three, I was like, I'm just going to go work out. So I was on the treadmill at three 30 and got my workout in though, before everybody else woke up and got a lot in. And that's a lot of how my days go. But I'm also like, well, then I can get it in when I have this free time. So I'm not, especially knowing today that I was going to have this block of time to myself talking to you guys. And I was like, well, I should get my workout in. Hmm. Um, but I just also understand, yeah, that that's not, the case for for many folks our age and you know we might be putting that type of stuff into like their career or in other hobbies there's something i don't want to say funny because like it's it's humorous at like face value but something deeply satisfying to me almost to hear that you're the first college graduate in your family's history and you parlayed it into stay-at-home dad like that's it's almost a humorous statement to make but it almost is it's like deeply, richly satisfying to me that you you changed the trajectory of your family by being a college graduate. You yep. got your degree. You took in the skills that you needed to do and realized that the most effective thing I can do for my family currently is to not even use the paper degree, but to use the skills I have to bring to the table, which is kind of what higher education is truly about is fitting your skill set to your passions and where you can have the most influence. And so someone like from your hometown who didn't know you would be like, oh yeah, he was the first one. What are you doing now? I'm like, no, I stay at home. And they might look at it and be like, wow, that was a weird path. But someone else might look at it and say, that is the exact perfect path to ensure that every next generation builds upon that. Thank you. Yeah. No, thank you for saying that. Yeah. And um, well, first, my wife probably never, my now wife never would have talked to me if I probably needed it. I needed a college degree. Too. <laughs> you got to get in the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's tough. And, uh, but, uh, but no, that, it, that's very true. It's very true. Well, and we're the opposite. My wife has more degrees than I have in higher education, and she's a stay-at-home mom now because we took a look at what made us 
physically and mentally happy and financially stable and realize that this is the route we're going. Like she worked really hard to not use that degree, but to have it in your back pocket if you need it. But the learning that went into it, you run a household differently when you step into that role rather than when you just kind of like flop into that role. Does that make sense? Like if you were just, if you were a deadbeat who I want to stay home, you would approach your job a whole lot differently than I've earned the right to apply my skills as the head of the household. Yeah. And in hindsight, I, the only change I would have made in college was probably be early childhood education major. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but obviously I wasn't yeah, like looking at like what that path would be. Um, and, and if you, if anybody meets us, I mean, it, it makes total sense. I mean, I'm, I'm a goofball young at heart and, uh, it's, it's how I'm wired. I, it's a very good fit. And, and my wife will be the first to say she, this would not be her jam. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, you look back at generations ago and it's just like, you think about all the, uh, women that maybe, well, just the reverse general of men too, that were, you know, gotta, you know, grab my lunch bucket and earn it for the family. And the missus at home might be like, have the potential to bring more to the world outside the, of the home and, and never had that, that opportunity. And, you know, but so I'm very fortunate that, yeah, that everything is that I live in this time. But so is my wife. Kirk, we've talked numerous times on here that people crave the freedom of workout whenever they want. Or if I was at home all day and we, we always say the same thing. Like if you can't train with the intensity of a professional athlete, with a part-time or full-time job, you most likely can't do it with freedom. Like you won't be able to handle the freedom. Some people can, but you need your schedule to get by. And if you, if you can't fit in time without it, you can't fit in time with it. And so I, like, I don't have jealousy towards you. I understand how having a day where I can choose where I need, want to work out if I want to is its own sense of like ceiling on your day. Like it, too much time or too much flexibility is a hindrance to most people. So the fact that you have to be more scheduled without a schedule, I think is lost on a lot of people. Yeah, no, I, I, I think your, your point is, is true. Um, and I, and I agree. I actually look at it. Um, I, I, I don't know how, yeah, like it, the big thing is that with, with kids, young kids and, looking back on all the time that I, when I had a job and no kids that like I had all this like free time and I was using it for other things. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, I, I actually don't have a lot of free time at all. Um, is it physically, is it there? Sure. But there's a trade off because then it's, it's, that's not what I, how do I put this? I still, I still lean on like going to a gym that has childcare. Um, mm. but I'm not like our kids haven't been in daycare, for instance, I'm, I'm there with me, but I also, it's not like I'm having like them. My youngest was a baby. Sure. He was like in like a pack and play next to me when I was like doing the herd. But the second he started like crawling, it was like, this isn't happening anymore. Um, and so it's, it's carving out the time when they're not around, which is not, often and especially during COVID. Um, so my wife is an anesthesiologist and she was just getting into her third trimester with our youngest when COVID hit. And yeah, I just remember, I mean, so we, there was definitely probably some long lasting trauma in our house as far as like what she was experiencing at work and like in the uncertainty at the time. And so there was, 
so we were probably as, I'm probably probably as cautious as you guys as, of anybody you've probably met. So it wasn't a three year like gap between me doing high rocks because our like because I for I don't want to say by choice because it was by choice, but it was also because we weren't doing like I wasn't going to go do an in person event when we were trying to be careful with our kids and avoid getting COVID. But then Dad goes and does like a fitness event, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like so it was like contradicting when the kids aren't doing certain things. So we were very very COVID conscious and careful. And for better or for worse, but it, it is what it is. But also I was kind of like, you know, my, my wife was trying to care for people that were dying in a way that she's never seen before. And so there was definitely like, it definitely impacted her. And so I wasn't going to be like, Hey, I need to go do this fitness event. So just put your like, like PTSD aside so I can go and do this. So we were, so I wasn't going to a gym for a long time. And so it was trying to carve out time at home to do it. And thus, thus I get to where I had the two ergs at home that I was able to just go crazy on the ski erg, mostly the skier, because I could jump on that thing. If I wasn't warmed up, it would only take me a couple minutes to just feel good. And then just go with like a, a long session on the ski erg. And that was kind of my outlet during certain times in co- during COVID. Um, and, uh, I mean, it was like, okay, I got an hour. Okay. I'll go like the baby's napping. Okay. I'll let the big kids watch a movie and I'll just like get an hour in on the skier and not overthink it. And so it wasn't, it wasn't like, so it's, so what I'm getting at again is, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it's probably, yeah, the freedom probably isn't there. It might be there, but it's not, but you're, you're definitely, there's a trade-off somewhere Mm. and you know, I'm, I'm here to raise my kids first. And so I'll find the time to do this stuff when it, when, when it works for them. We call that, uh, going, I think that's very monk mode of you, as I call it, like a guy in his basement, just going ham on his skier with no, nothing else. You know, you're not, you have no races coming up. It's, there's no spotlights on you. There's no accolades. There's no pats on the back. It's just a dad. Well, his kids napping, going monk mode in the basement on his rower and his skier you put in a big chunk of time on stuff like that. And then people end up coming out of periods of time, like kind of like a cyborg in certain avenues, right? Like, well, by default, maybe your running suffered a little, but you certainly became a monster on the machines. Obviously that, I guess that was already started beforehand. Yeah. I had months where months where I wasn't running. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't running months. I mean, long, I have the longest breaks from running that I've ever had. And, and at times I was like, ah, I'm never going to run again because I'm mm-hmm. getting aches and pains and hip or my knees um but i had stretch yeah i mean i had a stretch i think i got i think i accumulated like a couple million meters on the skier over the course of five months six months or something it was like i mean i was doing like fifteen thousand meters a day (laughs) and it was like because that was like an hour so i you know because you were talking about the rower but yeah so on the ski so first for people that aren't familiar with like the concept two world um they're, they have records by country, but also world records and stuff. Um, I'll, to be fair, the American records are definitely stronger in the shorter stuff when it comes to the skier. And so I, I went after some of these, especially when I, after I turned 40, I was like, okay, I'm going to get after these, uh, these distance skier records. Cause they're to be, to, to be fair, they're kind of soft and relative to what the world records are. Uh, the world record, I mean, there's Kate, Canadian, Jason Marshall, um, and uh, he he can just like, but he's like a 230 pound ex-professional rugby player. 
but I mean, so he, like he, he had the marathon record until a couple months ago, uh, Norwegian took it down, but it, I mean, he was averaging like, I think 146 high split for a marathon. And he, he just, he regularly does like his, his like workouts, like daily workouts are like, he's averaging like 145 for an hour regularly. Uh, whereas I was getting like the 40 plus American record. And I think I was averaging 149 and change. And then my, I think I still have the marathon record because I checked it knowing that it'd be on here because a lot of the distance ones have been taken down since or got gotten broken. But I, I still have the marathon 40 plus, And I think I was, I know I was like two hours, 39 minutes and 13 seconds, which comes to like 153s wow. <laughs> uh, for, for, and, and, and so talking about my, how I was living my life at that time, my wife was on an evening call uh, so that she had to go into the hospital and work an overnight. And so I kind of knew, I was like, okay, this is when I was doing these long blocks of 15,000 meters a day. And I was and sometimes, and these are like legit sessions. I mean, it was like, I, I mean, there never was I over two minutes for, per 500 splits on these. These are always quality, like faster sessions. And I was like, oh, I'm feeling like I got to do a marathon at one of these points. I did a half marathon in like 116.44. That's 149 flat clip uh, for a half marathon. And then five days later, my wife, I knew my wife was on an overnight call. And because I wasn't going to be like, hey, honey, I'm going to go take three hours to go work out and skier. Because this is when I was trying to budget about an hour to work out. And so she went to work at like three. I had all three kids, baby at the, you know, our six month old or whatever, and fed the kids dinner, ate dinner with them, put them all to bed, went downstairs, had like, I think I stacked some like Tupperware drawer things that we had and put like a couple bottles with a straw of uh, whatever amino thing I was drinking at the time. Had those set up, had a couple old expired gels that my sister from the running <laughs> shoe store gave me and took the tops off. So I had them ready to go. So I could just, so basically I could just do like you know, that like office thing that like that duck <laughs> that just keeps like, where is it? Like, you know, keeps tipping back. It was like, basically I keep going and then just take a quick little break, grab it and just like suck in the gel without having to like break my cadence too much. And, uh, so here, yeah, all the kids, I was like, okay, the kids are asleep. It's like eight o'clock. Let's tackle this hat, this full marathon. Sorry. It's the first one I've ever done. And so just put on like my headphones, listen to some satellite radio and went crazy for two hours and 39 <laughs> minutes broke the record do you have a baby monitor set up oh gosh yeah dude and actually i i finally have not so he just our youngest just turned three and i don't i don't work out with the monitor anymore because he can come down in the workout room and knows not to just come over and like barge in because that was always my fear is that i'll have something going and not see him and i don't want to hit him with a weight or anything like that right. but uh yeah i mean i everything in the last three years actually probably the last nine years was like on call. Like, like, cause when I go to those gyms, it's like, Hey, your child pooped his pants, you know? So I got to stop whatever I'm doing. Like I'm like always, the leash was always sh very short mm -hmm. and it's getting longer now. Cause we have three kids all almost exactly three years apart. And so we are actually just entering uncharted territory of having a, every other year we've had a, here's a baby. So whatever you've been doing, now you got a new baby and we don't have that now. So I'm, so yeah, finally don't have that monitor. But yes, the monitor was sitting there and like it's in the corner of my eye, like watching those like bars. Cause I don't have a video monitor. I'm like old school. I just have this one that has like the 
whatever decibel level that picks up the crying. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was like my, my marathon. I think at that point though, I had at one time I had the one hour half marathon, full marathon. And then I also had, I was still doing rankings for rowing and I was kind of on the cusp of lightweight. So I still had, so those were American records at a time of that year. I think it was 2021. And then I also was like putting up to- top rank times for concept two on the rowing machine at one minute row, 500 meter row and 1000 meter row. But I, I I just don't like the distance rowing. I don't, I don't like having my butt on that seat. This is actually where I'm sitting on it right now is probably the longest (laughs) I've ever sat on it. Cause I just, it just doesn't appeal to me like sitting on it. Whereas the skier guy just, there's just something about getting in that rhythm and the, the, how easy it is just to step up to it and get started. And that's interesting to me. I only use the machines as finishers to workouts. I would say 90% of what I do on the machines is to finish off a session or as a double session at night. And I do not go shorter than probably three minutes on the rower, maybe 250. And I don't go longer than 90 seconds on the skier because it's for, it's probably just a lack of reps on it. But the skier I can't tolerate from like a structural standpoint for longer, just for anything other than short, fast intervals. So I save my spicy stuff for the skier and I get it done quick. So my, I've never spent longer than probably 22 cumulative minutes in any one workout on the skier. But if I need to do like grindy threshold stuff, I'll row. Yeah. And so to hear that you'll do an hour of skier work or a marathon, it just blows my mind. I was in a dark place. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, as I'll admit it was, it was weird, but it, you know, and I, it's hard to replicate that, that mode that I was in during that time. And, and I, and that's why I was, that's why I segued into this. There was purpose behind it because when you were talking about, you know, having that free time and it was, really, it wasn't, it was kind of my, my wife and I were like, here, this is your window that mm-hmm. hour, 75 minutes to work out and here's yours. And I was kind of like, how do I make this as much quality and, and satisfying as possible? And then it was just getting comfortable with the ski and, and it mm-hmm. became, uh, yeah, it's hard. Cause I know where you're coming from. Cause I was there too. Okay. Uh, and, and for re- good reason too, cause it was the type of workouts I were doing and how I was introduced to it with boot camps. It was the same thing where it was like, you're mixing in with other, other things and you're jumping in and actually it's closer to the high rocks training that, and that's how I use it now. But there have been times since that 2021 where I've gone back to be like, oh, you know what? I'm bigger now. Maybe I can jump on here and, and get back into that mode. And and I just don't have the, the I don't want to say motivation, but I just don't have that the same fire because it just wasn't out of desperation like it was mm-hmm. during that peak COVID time and, and, and the weird stuff that was going on and in our heads at the time and my wife's experiences at the hospital. And it was kind of like my, it was literally my outlet. Yeah. And now I'm kind of like at like a different place and I could still go on there and like, and, and get some quality sessions in, but they don't touch what I was doing before. And I would love to get back at it. I, I think like I was still staying close to that, that 165 because it was always nice to be like, Oh, I can, I'm sick of the erg I'll, or the skier. I'll jump on the rowing machine. So it was, you know, like, obviously I want to stay close to lightweight and now I'm much uh, significantly bigger that I probably will never get back to the lightweight. But at least now it would be fun to see like how the extra mass will translate on the ski because it, it will. Um, and, and if you there's been interviews with like some of the top er guys, James Hall, who has a lot of the 
and he's going after I think the 500 meter row record soon, and he's got the 1K on both machines. I think he went sub six on the skier and the rower. Uh, he'll he's had he'll say it like the smaller guys that can crush out decent numbers. If you go watt per kg, are probably stronger on the machines compared to the larger guys that go on there. Um, so I'm hoping some of the, the extra muscle I put on would translate and be fun to do that. But I still, you know, I'd have to get in a certain mode because I, I would love my, my big dream would be to get my marathon under a 150 split on the skier, but that would be past maybe in a couple of years from now, I'll maybe get focused on it again. But um, right now it's just, I'm not going to spend that much time on the ski when I want to do all this other high rock stuff. Well, we haven't talked about it in a while, but I used to reference occasionally psychopath training where sometimes you need to stare at the wall for a while or put yourself in a position where like, I don't listen to music. I don't look at the TV. I'm just going to run at an incline for two hours to just train myself to be a little bit more of a psychopath in races, like to be able to just lock in and think one thought for an hour or something like that. And the skier is psychopath training every single time because to my knowledge outside of the pool it's the only non-impact form of cardio or really any form of cardio that you can do and are not really able to watch anything during correct yeah your head's constantly moving you can't just put on a show or a movie or a race and zone out and headphones you can keep in but they keep working free a little bit over time because you're constantly bobbing and you sweat so much on these machines, especially with your head moving down below your chest. You just sweat like crazy. So every session's a bit of psychopath training, but the long sessions are like it's just you and your head. There is nothing else to distract you from it. And so I think you're right. Like You have to be in a weird place in some capacity in order to go all in on the skier. Rowing, you can at least... Like I have a mirror in front of me on the side. I can check form all day or I can set up an iPad if I want. You can't do those things super well. Maybe an angled mirror for the skier, but you're just getting glimpses. It's constant psychopath training. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The only I would say, though, is it's such a rewarding machine if you put in the meters and and thus thus I just haven't gotten to that that fitness with it in a while because I haven't put in the kind of time that I did in the past. But if you, if you do that up front, like 10 days, I mean, I've had stretches where I was like 10 days of a 10 K on the skier to kind of expedite that, 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 I don't want to say fitness because the fitness is already there, but that, that memory and, and, and getting that rhythm with it. And, and, and surprisingly it's, you, you've, and I don't know if it's just me, so I'm gonna be careful, but it's like, you do start to feel better and, and with it. And, and some of those like fast efforts aren't as taxing as they probably look from someone that hasn't spent that kind of time on it. Um, you know, so it's, but, but I, but to get to that point and to, and to, and more just be hyper-focused for, for days and weeks to get to that point is yes, it's, (laughs) you have to be a little crazy. I, I have some athletes, uh, I prescribed some 10 and 15 minute skier blocks, some of my high rocks athletes. And I had, I had one the other day tell me that they couldn't, they couldn't stand being on there for 10 minutes. So they had to switch modalities before the 10 minutes was up. And I'm, I'm hoping they listen to this episode. Maybe they'll feel inspired. Well, and I've, I've been there where I've, I've had, I think even right before that first high rocks, I wasn't, I had a, like a virus or something at some point. And so I had a couple of days off or away from it. And I remember getting on it and it was just, and this wasn't anything to do with the illness by that point, but it was just like, I think I, I think I did like was going for 2000 meters 
somewhat hard. And I was like, I just lifted the handles up like halfway and I'm like, this sucks. And, and then it's like a couple months later, I'm doing half marathon, like no big deal. Um, but there's, yeah. So it, it can suck. I can't do 15 minutes, Kirk. And, but, and honestly for, for the hybrid stuff and what we're, what we're all doing, it, the stuff that I was doing during COVID is unnecessary. Like it's a, and, and thus I was saying like, I'm not even going to dedicate much more than maybe an hour cumulatively on it now. Um, I'm sure I'm getting some benefit from my history with it that I can jump in and, and not exert myself too much when I get to the event. Um, but I don't know if, you know, the seconds that you're saving, I don't know if even if I went in with the type of training I had, if it would really see it pay dividends that way. Yeah. And, well, I'm going to just tell them they're all wimps and they need to suck it up because Matt Gross can go for a marathon at 150 pace. That's right. Well, I hope that it does shift like the thought though, because people do think it's like a quick blast and that's it and just go nuts. And it's like, get yeah. into like a, like envision yourself like cross country skiing and just, and get into like a rhythm and it doesn't, don't worry about what the splits are at. When I start, when I start, when I'm haven't been doing it for a while and I get started, my, my splits are super modest. And then as I get used to it and that muscle memory, each time I jump up to go up to the machine, then I can start getting into like stronger numbers and focusing mm. on that. And I just think people just get on it and get, and just go way too hard. That's literally the case with everything, isn't it? Get on the road or go too hard. Start a running program, run too hard and fast and blow up. Dude, it's like, it's like people find a way to shoot themselves in the foot on everything like mm-hmm. that. It's super true. Yeah. Well, I do the opposite of what Bracken does because you mentioned that you finish your your workout, your sessions on the ergs. See, I, I start my sessions and use them as my warm up, and then I just focus on form, get my heart rate up, and th- that's probably where I get majority of my meters from right now. Is it's it's my warm up. Interesting. Um, one question to put a bow tie on the ski erg and the rower, and then I want to transition to something. Um, what records have you all broken or held, even if they've been rebroken by somebody else? I just like to know between the erg and the rower, what, sure. what have yeah. you all broken at some point in time or held? Yeah. So on the rower, the lightweight one K I tied the one minute. Um, I didn't, I didn't submit it though. Um, cause yeah, there's a couple guys on there, but it's like three seventy five, So it was like uh, for one minute, uh, averaging one minute or one twenty flat Ouch. 500 split. Uh, but then on the skier, it was 40 to 49 age. They don't have weight categories on the skier. And I had the one hour, the half marathon and the full marathon. And then I went for the 30 minute once and I got the record, but unbeknownst to me, it was already broken a couple days prior. <laughs> and then this ended up being the guy that ended up breaking the one hour and the half marathon for American records. Um, and another, another big guy though, you know, so I, I was like, all right, I'm like, look at, you know, look at them stalking. I'm like, who is this guy? And I'm like, oh, he's got like 40 pounds on me. Like, cause it does make a difference, but I, it's all good. <laughs> so any records you have your eyes on right now that you're still maybe going to put some time into no because uh the ski uh, short stuff is just i mean i i'm not even in the same realm with the, the american records are pretty close to the world records and and they are just splits that i'll never even see i mean you have to be easily plus 240 because even that jason marshall guy who's a big dude and he he can't even touch on the splits that these like these these guys throw down um and uh, i mean yeah we're talking like 109 110 
splits. I, I, I can barely get under 120 all out on the ski erg and it's just, yeah, not going to happen. And then I don't want to dedicate the time right now to the distance stuff. And like I said, at some point, I think the marathon, getting that one under 150, the, the world record is like 150. I'm talking about split, sorry. Uh, 150.2 is the split for a marathon for the 40 to 49 world record on the ski erg. And, and I, I do think that that one I could challenge with dedication. But like we were saying, I have to get in that that psycho mode and I don't, you know, or so, so I'm not rooting for a pandemic, but I guess, you know, if, if we continue to have smoke out here, like outside mm-hmm. and I'm stuck inside training, maybe I'll be like, okay, I I'm stuck in here. So I'll just do that. That, that would be interesting to set up the ideal fueling system, <laughs> something where you had some, almost like a keg, but with a, for a liquid hydration, where you just had to like lean forward, grab it and depress something. You didn't even have to suck like something that would be stable in front of you. And you never had to break rhythm one time. And most people that have made those long attempts, they have, they have people there to help them. So I probably, I could probably also just do it on a day that my wife is home. (laughs) I would happily bottle feed you (laughs) during a world record attempt. That's exactly the type of thing I'm made for. I, 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 I'm kind of proud of the story though, of like being able to like my little setup and it was, that's a great story. It's a little bit of kids. But when you're ready. I will be a part of it. A couple of years. I'm going to be sliding in on one of those mechanic uh, wheeled okay. benches where they're on their back sliding under cars. That's when I'm going to be in and out on that thing, holding stuff up to you. You know, it would be so boring, dude. You wouldn't want to do that. Getting sweat on in your own mouth as you're underneath him, feeding him with a bottle, just his own sweat dripping yep. into your eyes. That'd be nice. I'll take it. And maybe like the, like the, you know, cause they have ultras and stuff and I could see like, you know, like hundred K. I mean, those numbers are, um, I can get in a rhythm for that at some point, but that would have to be like, yeah, I'd have to work up quite a bit for that as well. But, um, I was going to say, so with the rower though, I, I don't think I'll ever look back at the rowing. I mean, the rowing records are so, so out there. Um, I mean, cause then you're getting into Olympians that, uh, dabble in the erg. And now that I'm in open weight and I, I don't plan on going back to lightweight. So I'm, cause I'm comfortably over 180 oh. now. Um, oh, like wow. I said, before COVID, I was never, before the first high rocks, I had never been over, never touched 170. I'm not like obsessive about my weight or check it, but I just, I knew I was like just a runner, just a thin runner guy. And then I uh, still, still am, I guess, but, um, but it, there was just something, and, and I think it had a lot to do too with having kids and I'm not, I'm not putting down folks that do stuff that has like, that they have to check their weight and be careful about it. But it's like, obviously I had to like, be careful about every time I go and do like a time trial that could be competing with a record. Yeah. I had to weigh myself and I had to be under 165 pounds mm-hmm. and it's, I've never, fortunately, I never got into like an unhealthy mode because I fortunately was there before I even got started. But then it was like, oh, I want to be stronger and I don't want to like, I don't want to skip out on dessert or something or drink less fluid because I want to be under this weight cutoff. And then I was also kind of like, well, I probably could just try adding some bulk and see where this goes and so yeah i'm comfortably over 180 that over time just was very purposeful about putting on some mass for high rocks because i was like i yeah i still gotta get after that sled that's uh, exactly how i wanted to transition right now matt um 
So not to pat ourselves on the back, Bracken, and not putting you in this category, Matt. Oh, I like this part of any episode. <laughs> We've had some interviews where we have we have interviewed guests who then bust onto the scene. We like we talk to them, we have an idea they're gonna break through. I we could probably have a half dozen if you go back. Even people like Emma Cook Clark or Ryland Shadig or others who showed glimpses. We had them on the podcast, we got to know them, and then within that half a year, suddenly they've done something big. And we always talk to them before they get super cool. Do you agree with that, Bracken? We've talked to a number before they really bust through. Yeah, we're podcast hipsters. Total hipsters. We are solely responsible for their their ascension. Not saying that is the case here, Matt, but obviously you have the resume, you have an engine, you have some credentials behind it, and you're putting a focus into the sport, which is pretty dang cool. I'm very excited to watch this show. The Matt Gross Show. How does Matt Gross come along here? So so what is the recipe then now for you? You have a great engine. You're a fantastic runner when you focus on it. Clearly, you're great on station work um, or like like the the rower and the, the erg. What, what do you do? What's what's the plan here? How does Matt Gross break through if he wants I'm doing to? A, I'm doing a lot of lunges. Okay. Yeah, that's a good start. And yeah. a lot of squatting because you look at my line at the open and you can tell that I was not working on walking lunges, burpees, and wall balls because I was focused on, I was like, I need, I want to get through these sled stations, these power stations. So I really didn't know like work on those, those other three. And uh, I, yeah, I think I can be pretty competitive in this um, once I put it all together and I'm just biding my time. And a lot of it was, um, like I, like I alluded to with now my youngest is finally three years old. We'll get him into three-year-old preschool and I'll, I'll have a little bit more of that free time that, (laughs) that Bracken was uh, alluding to. I don't want you to think I was saying you have it. I was saying people assume you have free time as a stay-at-home. Oh, God. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And I figured, cause you, you have four kids? Three. Three. Okay. Yeah. But I so how important the time is that free time that I have and how I that I these last couple of years I wouldn't trade for anything because I'm like I've I've become more disciplined in my fitness than I've ever been in my life and when we're young and yes I was like I was I was talented like when it came to the running stuff and wow, I look back and I'm like, man, if I would have applied myself, would I, I mean, I could think back to talks when our, that I had conversations with our strength and, and conditioning trainers at Oshkosh and being like, Hey, if you like work on some of the strength stuff, like we can get some of those, like we can get your times down. I was just like, whatever, I'm already like doing all this, you know, that's what I was thinking, you know, I mean, cause that's the thing, Kirk, I appreciate the nice things you said about me before, but it's like, yeah, in all our heads, we kind of you know, the different, different conversation going on. And in my head, I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm doing fine. I'm doing great. And now I'm kind of like, this has been eye opening. Like, wow, like I maybe left something out there, but I'm, I want to take advantage of what's coming ahead and really see what I can do with this. And it isn't so much about where I fall relative to everybody else. Yeah. I'm super competitive and I, and I, and that's a big part of it, but I'm also kind of like, wow, this is like a different, me and and to be and if i can be strong in in these different facets that's fun and and let's see where we can take this and so i'm excited about having a little bit more flexibility 
to uh, to to take advantage of these fall races and and apply myself better. And and the, why I want to take two cracks at it, and hopefully I can, is if it works out in our, with my schedule, um, is because I'll be honest. The the one thing I'm lacking is is race experience and competitive experience. Um, and that when I get to the venue that I'm like there to like get after it. And, 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 and so I, I might need to do a few more races to, to get that rolling. And cause yeah, otherwise I'm just kind of competing, like or not competing, but just working out in my, my home gym or in my local gym. And this hybrid stuff, it's tricky to train for because it's not like running a mile where if you run a slow mile at your hardest or a fast mile at your hardest, the training's relatively similar of how to get better. Like if you're a 420 miler or a 350 miler, you're going to work on very similar skills. You just may work on your kick more at the higher level because you have to deal with tactical races or surges. But in high rocks, every time you race, if you come in with different fitness, a different station hits differently. Like I just have to be better at the sleds. All right, I yeah. got through the sleds. Holy crap, these lunges are terrible. Now I get through the lunges, but my wall balls were exposed. And now I'm working at a higher rate. And it turns out my sleds were actually worked incorrectly for how I want to race now. So it's like people drop time right away. And then they hit this little plateau where they have to race two or three more times to figure out what kind of high rocks racer am I actually now that I'm racing it rather than surviving it. And then they figure out their training system for them. And then they drop a ton of time. It's not like a mile where keep moving your metrics up and you get better. It doesn't always add up that way. <laughs> yeah. And I also think that that first there, there are so many people that also like step into it and do great their first stab at it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how, how, how do they do that? <laughs> you know, it's like, and now granted they come in and they, they're probably more like a strength training background, but it's like, you, you have these like runners and it's like, they jump in there. I'm like, I definitely didn't do that. I laid an egg <laughs> on my first one. Cause it wasn't just the sled pull. My sled push was probably, there was a field of 83. And I think my sled push, wall balls, walking lunges, and then that sled pull, I think all of those, I think my ranking out of everybody was in 60 or above. So back quarter. And so strong run. I was also very strong at the ergs in those. I think I was like top five on both ergs. And then I actually do really good on the kettlebell carries. Um, but, uh, but I didn't have a complete raise. And then it's, and then, and then, yes. And then fast forward. Now we're getting into, okay, so I'm not going to be one of those people that just jump from like a solid running background into high rocks and just like blow the doors off people, you know, as a, as a newbie, it was like, no, I was coming in very green. And then fast forward. Yeah. To this past January. And then I was like competitive. And I think I placed 12th overall fourth in my fourth in a pretty competitive. You and I, Brecken, I think we talked about, it. I mean, that the 40 to 44 was a pretty stacked field. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I looked at the, the, hybrid racing resumes of the guys in front of me is like nothing to slouch at those guys are good what were you 64 i was 63 yeah 63 high so yeah 60 63 high so to already be in the 63s in your second attempt what was your first one like one 140 open weight so you correct in the 40s uh 140 but but open versus pro but but i again i do think that because even though i didn't have a strong walking lunge wall ball. I, and those were lower weights. I kind of came in with like the idea that it was like, I'm going to 
use my power for those and wasn't I wasn't training at like a speed and I think if I were doing more lighter weight lunges and stuff you know I probably could have I don't know uh, that's all here or there but like I just wasn't doing much work on those and but I actually think that I probably could have narrowed the gap if it were higher weights I actually felt more comfortable in the, <laughs> the higher weights oddly enough but that's also I had three years to prepare for it I mean I bought I bought like a used uh home gym machine and I was not doing much at all. I think I was leading into the first high rocks. I think I was back squatting 45 plates on there. So like 135. I think I would maybe get up to my weight and then I would videotape it guys. I don't think I was getting down to, I don't think my knee angle was even getting to 90 degrees. I'm not talking about ass to grass. I'm talking like like I, like my bend was like maybe mm. you know there it was just I did not I that was not something that I was training for and then I think I remember I got a bunch of the stuff started doing deadlifts for some reason and I mean it was 225 was like my max and then by the time over the course of because this was the summer of 2020 so we were into COVID bought some used stuff in my basement because I could see where this was, <laughs> this is going to be a while. And, uh, started doing the strength training, uh, in addition and bulking up. And I got my, I mean, my deadlift, I was doing reps over, over 400. Wow. And the other day, I think I was doing like a five by five. I, I mean, I can, I can do 315 on the squat. I mean, it's gonna be dangerous reps. And so it's, it's different now. I'm a different guy. And it's great. And even even this hybrid stuff doesn't work out. I don't care because I just love it's it's just fun training for me and, and something new. And so I shouldn't say if it doesn't work out, but if, if I'm not like you know a world beater, whatever. Do you feel better um, at this weight with this type of training? I assume the answer is yes. How? Yeah. You, me too. When I train that way, and that's why I keep the strength work in regularly, even though like I'm 172 pounds at 510. I am way too big to be running my fastest 5k in, you know, by typical standards, but I just like how I feel and move through life. I do assault bike work every week. I, you know, all those things. And I just feel better this way. How would you describe the difference in how you feel between, uh, you know, lighter mat and stronger mech? How do you feel? Like, what, what would you describe it as? Like life training? Yeah, anything? I, I'm sh shocked. There have been in my late thirties, I, and, and why I transitioned to a lot of the ERG stuff, even be, before COVID, because I was starting to do a lot of rowing, uh, was that I just, I would always develop hip pain and knee pain whenever I run consistently. And I'm not talking like 10 miles a day. I'm talking like three or four miles at a steady clip. And I would have a hard time walking down the stairs. And so I was, I, I've had periods where I was just like, I'm, done. I'm not running anymore. I mean, I, I want to be able to, to get down on the floor and play with my grandkids someday. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to happen at the way I'm going, or I'm going to be replacing everything. And thus it also made it tricky getting into starting off with the lifting because it, it would hurt in, in getting like getting down into like a proper squat mm -hmm. without weight was difficult and it, it's taken a couple years of regularly working on this stuff and getting pat getting over a hump and suddenly like even just in the last few months it's like i i don't need to use like my sleeves anymore whereas like when i start doing like higher weights especially like if i start getting into like 220 and above on like back squat 
I, I needed to have knee sleeves on, like the thick, like neoprene ones to like be able to comfortably do it. And I, and I don't need to do that anymore. It's like, I'm, I, and I'm like, where is this? Like how, and, and in the past I would have like blocks where I'm serious about the erg, serious about strength training, serious about running, not so much, but I had to have a short block like that. And leading up to high rocks in January, it was a bit of running in the couple months lead up and a little bit of everything else. And then I, I stopped running mid February, right after high rocks, Chicago, I, took a break from running and got back into the strength stuff. And, and, uh, then I started up running again in April because I, I was starting to have that moment again when I was like, oh, I'm going to be like achy. I don't want to do this. And then I saw Dave Krzyzewski run his Boston marathon at 41. And I was like, maybe I'm not like giving this running stuff as much, like maybe I'm like making it the boogeyman that it isn't. So then since mid April, to now is, and I don't have any pressure because I'm like, you know, I, I'm like, I'm not going to be racing again until the fall kids. I may have all three kids during the summer. It's like, it's going to be fit in the workout when I can, but this is the first time that I'm like running and doing the strength training and then doing all the functional exercises too. And, and yet I'm like not having any of the aches and pains that I've had when in the past. And I don't, I don't know what it is. Genetics, I'm sure a lot, but also there's just something about probably this, at least doing some of that stuff regularly. You gave your joints the support staff and it's needed all along. I think that's part of it as well, for sure. Yeah. We're, we obviously love running. Like if you took away hybrid sports, if you took away OCR, if you took away trail racing, road racing track, we would still run every day, Kirk and I, because we just love it. We started a podcast around running. But we also acknowledge that running's one of those sports that the better you get at running, that's your benefit. It kind of doesn't, outside of the mental, the life benefits of like the mental component, getting physically maxing out your running ability makes you worse at almost everything else. You become very linear. You become very fragile, one-dimensional. And we love the sport of running. Our tagline is everyone wants to get to the finish line faster. But... If you ever get to your fastest, you'll probably be at your worst for most other physical activities under the sun. And the cool thing that we've all discovered now, post-collegiately, is that there's another form of running that allows us to be good at everything else under the sun physically and still be pretty okay at running. And that, that realization that I don't have to ache all day long. I may not run four low in the mile, but I don't have to run five high either. I can still run for mid, but I don't have to ache all the time or I don't have to worry about posture. I don't have to worry about tweaking my back. If I have to move furniture, like this thing that we do, adding some functionality plus our love of running, we can finally be good at life rather than just running. And that's freeing. Yeah. I, that's spot on as far as the balance, being able to do all these different things right now. And, and then it, I, I actually, running is probably the least thought out of all the stuff that I'm doing right now. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, all right, here's a time I'll go run. And I, it's not regimented. I, I, I'll probably try to make it more specific, like later in the summer. And especially when the kids are back in school. But right now it's just, I, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow for a workout. I don't know. Honestly, I don't even know what I did yesterday. It's kind of like, let's see what tomorrow brings, how I'm feeling. And let's uh, roll with it. But I know cumulatively, I'm feeling good. And it doesn't work for anybody. I'm not telling people to, to do that. Because, I mean, I have, like we were talking about, I have almost 30 years worth of running of some capacity that I kind of know where I need to be. 
Um, but yeah, it's very, sorry, this isn't very informative, <laughs> I'm realizing, but it's, it's, uh, I, I, I don't know how to explain it. And, uh, feels good to fill, fill out a t-shirt too, doesn't it? There's something to say about that. Your whole life you go as this skinny runner guy that can't fill out a t-shirt. His pants are just a little loose in the ass and you're like, God, I just like to fill these out. And then you get to fill them out one day and you just feel good walking around, walking through the parking lot to the dang grocery store, hanging with your kids at the park. I'm sure just like Filling out your clothes. That sounds stupid, but a lot of men deal with that, these runner guys. I bet you it feels good to fill. I see that vein yeah. bulging out of your bicep, Matt. That's got to feel good. Huh? I mean, yeah. now and then it got to feel good. Yeah. And, uh, well, and, you know, what? The, the strange thing about us skinny runner guys is that I think we built it up in our heads that we were probably bigger and stronger than we really were. <laughs> Always. And, you know, it's like, or at least that it like takes or takes more athleticism than it really does. And, uh, you know, I'd be like, oh yeah, I can do a couple pull-ups. Sure. Um, cause you know, and, and even the top guys are, they're fit, they're strong relative to that sport. But yeah, it's like, it's nice to be more well-rounded for sure. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you one thing specifically that I think you can answer better than anybody, Matt. And that is, um, there was a little, not controversy, but there was some chirping on the internet about bad row form in a high rocks and Hunter McIntyre got into it with some row expert. And you probably know more about this than I do. Um, but the impact of actually being in a hybrid event and having to row or ski erg, the impact that it actually has on your top end potential, like rowing in a high rocks is way different than going into your basement and rowing a standalone workout, for example. Like, could you compare the two for us, like the erg and the rower, how it's different during a hybrid event than it might be in a standalone session, like the approach, the feel, the form? Is there anything you can dive into with that? Yeah, um, I, I am familiar with that. Cause I, I like kind of being on the periphery and see what's going on. And, uh, I, I, I don't understand all that. What, like the, there is a, when I even got started and before I kind of delved into like different training specific for the rower, but I was like cranking out decent numbers and at the gym and easily every other session, somebody would come up and critique me. And I'm just like, like, can I just do my workout? Like, like literally like stop me. And I sometimes just like, what is with the, like the form police? <laughs> and it's like, and any of this stuff, I'm like, I don't, have you guys, and Kirk, you coach a lot of people. Like, do you guys have anybody that's had like a back issue from poor form? Because they, there's like a Not lot of talk. Machines. No. Yeah. There's like a lot of talk saying like, Oh, your back is going to like, you're going to hurt your back. And I'm like, I, I haven't seen it. And I, 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 it's, and so it's like, so that's kind of what gets me is when like trying to call out Hunter and then say that he's going to cause people to have back pain from this. And I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I, I haven't come across that. Um, and I also think that there's a difference between even the one K that, that we have to do during high rocks versus a lot of the two the K even and anything beyond for distance. And so my form when I'm doing longer sessions Cause I still do like, I've still done like five K's and 10 K's hard on the rolling machine, even though I don't like it. But, um, my form is drastically different than when I'm like cranking out a faster one K or shorter. Not that we're going super fast on at high rocks, but those shorter duration, I don't think 
there needs to be as much attention to that. And like we were saying, the amount of time that somebody's going to be focusing on, on or needs to focus on it, I don't know if that really is going to be, a, if it's going to have the payoff. Like, that's why I'm like, I wouldn't recommend like focusing on half hour sessions for your, for most people doing high rocks for something that's one eighth of their non-running stations, one sixteenth of the total event. So it's, I don't know. There's something with like the rolling culture though, that it is kind of, they really want to get on the form thing and it's, it's with everything. I, I don't even post I, early on. I was like, Oh, post for post videos and stuff or whatever, you know, like in these like Facebook groups and stuff. And then I stopped doing that because you're just <laughs> asking for like somebody to critique you, no matter how fast you are or how long you've been doing it. It's like somebody, they're going to like, they'll come out and trying to be helpful. I get it. And there are, there are a few guys like, you know, like Shane Farmer, uh, from dark Horse is awesome. Like with his stuff, uh, and Justin Farina with garage athlete is amazing. as far as like giving out like advice and, and is a wonderful resource. Um, but then, but they're pretty good about and sensitive about it, but then it's like, yeah, you get some guy and they got, I know the guy that I'm familiar with the guy that called out Hunter too, and he's amazing. He's a beast. But I also am like, why, why bother? One of the first things I realized with my own rowing was that my form was holding me back. I was shortchanging the machine. I was shortchanging myself with the length of my stroke and where my catch was and all of that. And so I started diving into every online source, Dark Horse, and all these things that you could find. And I kept coming back to these British... The, the Great Britain rowing team camp videos. Have you seen these? Yeah. They have these like super cut videos of them at their training camps and they're training and they're doing intervals and then they're doing time trials and they're selling out on some reps and not on others. And all I could think was this is exactly like what every other sport looks like. You have people who have done so many millions of meters that they have their own flair and style and form to the acceptable form. But they're doing things that I see critiqued in all these videos. Like some guys really lean back. Some people really curl up at the end. Some people don't have their elbows tight. Some people are over gripping somewhere. Like they all have their thing. And sometimes I think people forget that at any sport, your structure is different from the person next to you. And sometimes you have an atypical form and you drive power better that way. Because even these, and Great Britain is a phenomenal rowing nation. And these guys who are their Olympic rowers all had different form. Yeah. It's like, how could you critique this person when the very best in your sport are doing that thing? You would say, well, they've earned their right to do that. Yeah, maybe. But it's, it's funny. Like you just can't, you can't see Hunter's wattage. You can't see his graph right now. Maybe you can go in afterwards and see it. But until you can see what they're putting out with the form that they're doing, it's a nonsensical argument to make because the top guys are doing all these funky different finishes to their stroke but mo- most of these folks wouldn't even care yeah probably even not. if they saw hunt even if they saw hunter going like you know doing like a 1k averaging like 125 it's kind of like oh well that's great and all but you're like yeah your knees are bending too early is there another sport but we put asterisk next to prs like tom brady did set the single season touchdown record, but he had too long of a delivery. Like, so it's not really worth it. Those, those touchdowns weren't. And I also want to be careful though, because it's like, I do think like, it, it, cause I think it, I also don't want to sound like, like being like uncoachable or something. Cause it's like, it's, I'm sure the folks that are saying something are onto something and I'm sure they're trying to be helpful and they know more than me. And I'll admit, I, I'm not really a student of the rowing sport. I, as far as like going in and trying to like adjust my form and stuff. I mean, a lot of it too, is I have, 
I have a bit of kyphosis through my back. I don't know if it's from like slouching from being tall as I'm like leaning over right now. I'm working on that. I think it's been helping with the strength training and stuff. But then it's like, yeah, you watch me like from a side angle on the rowing machine. It's like, I'm going to have this curve and they're going to be like, oh, tighten, like get your back and your shoulders back and straighten that back out. And I'm like, I, I can't like, I mean, I, I can't make you, you're right. And when you're saying like, people are going to try to put you in this box and what you need to look at or look like. And I, yeah, I mean, maybe over time it would, I don't know, but I'm also like, I, I don't, I don't care. I don't care to find out, you know, if it makes <laughs> right. me a little faster because I look better. Yeah, maybe, but I'm not ready to put the time in for that. I need, I know if I have a window of time to work out, I'm going to go work out. And I get what they're saying. They don't want somebody that's like looked up to, to give out wrong advice. And I think that was more of like what the argument was. So I think there's some validity in that, but I'm also like, like you said, it's like, I, I, I have a hard time believing that what Hunter was saying was going to cause that much harm to people. I think that's also over, over exaggerated a little bit when people are saying like, all of a sudden you have these people like lining up at the chiropractor because they took Hunter's <laughs> advice on row form. It's like, that's not, I haven't seen that. What are the row injuries you hear about? I don't know. The actual injuries. Like I've heard of some people getting tennis elbow from rowing incorrectly. I've heard of wrist issues. I've had some like when I'm doing like a lot of sprinting and yeah. And then like when I was doing more focus, I guess that could happen. Um, trying to think for bad. myself. I, 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 and maybe, maybe lower back, but I, I, I know I, I goofed myself up deadlifting when I got into this stuff early on and I really messed myself up and I couldn't really row much. And actually it's kind of one of the times that started a, a long skier block because that actually felt fine. And so I kind of just obsessed over that, but, um, but it wasn't from the rowing machine. And if anything, I, and why I don't do the longer sessions is because I don't like sitting on that. I don't like how my bony butt feels on the seat too long. And I'm like, and, and really when they tell me to like tilt my pelvis back and stuff, it actually feels a little worse. So I'm like, I don't know. But I also think that that's a person to person thing too. Like we're also talking about somebody, I, I understand that I can get away with a little bit more than some people can with this stuff. But yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard anybody that stopped working out just in general because they goofed themselves up on the rowing machine. I'm not trying to say that people that hasn't happened, but I'm not familiar. Yeah. I think a lot of their main issue or his issue is that Hunter was charging people you know, to t follow his program when he didn't know what he was doing. That was a big sticking point, I think, for them. It is interesting, even if you look at, like, let's say we look at, like, a world-class 5K and we watch the best male or female elites on the track running, every single one of them down the line has a different form. One with a high back kick. Look at Woody Kincaid shuffle along the track, looking like what a, he has no business being out there. Then you look at the forward lean of LeMong or whoever it is, and everybody's different. Nobody gets on these guys about it. Just let me row the way my body wants to row. Why can these guys go run and every all 15 of them look different out there? It's all good. Just calm down, folks. That's what I think. I did want to get to an answer about um, how does being in a high rocks impact your ability to row and ski erg well? Like, can you speak to that? Like, just that one specific thing. Like, how? Tell me how it impacts your ability to do to do 
those stations big time is it like you've never rode before during the event yeah during the event um yeah the ski the ski i i don't think there's any it's too early in the event to have an effect i think if anything it's just being strong enough on the ski that you can pace yourself so you don't over like exert yourself on it and then affect yourself later but i don't think you i don't i think very few people are going into it doing that first 1k run then getting to the ski erg and having a noticeable difference in what they can do in the ski erg versus fresh um the rowing um yeah it it does feel like feels like you're rowing in sand um uh, definitely feeling pretty heavy at that stage of the event my first go around was different animal because i spent yeah like 35 minutes longer than i predicted i would on this or excuse me 20 plus minutes longer on the sled pole. So just being out there that much longer nutrition wise, I mean, it went from doing what I thought would be a doable event to like an endurance event. So by the time I got to the rowing machine, that, that felt like junk. The second go around, um, yeah, it's definitely felt like heavy legs. It's, I must say I was a little surprised that I actually split. I thought I was dogging it more. Um, so I was actually pleasantly surprised that my splits were, Cause, cause you take longer to transition into it and getting into the straps and stuff. So it's like, you really, you might be splitting certain, then you get home and you see your splits and they're like, you know, a good 15 seconds slower than what you were pacing yourself at. Um, but I actually felt like I was like doing okay, but definitely not answering this really well either. Does it I, suck way more than it should even be an accomplished rower? That's what I want to know. Like you get on there and like, yep, this is a different beast and it's terrible. Or is it? Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's oh, really yeah. what I want to know. Yeah. 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 And I think if somebody, and I don't know which one he did, but there was a, a gentleman, uh, Ward, Lem, I don't know how to pronounce the name. He's Belgian. Who's like one of the top indoor two cares. I mean, this guy did like a five thirty six or something at the world, um, with second world's open weight. I mean, yeah, five thirty something that he can do and uh, big dude strong uh but he wasn't the top rower when he, he did a high rocks not too long ago and uh he his split was pretty modest he didn't i don't think he had the highest split in the event maybe third or fourth um and uh yeah so i mean it was probably in the upper threes probably 350 something i think he did so we take that off he was probably 340 so that far into the event he was doing closer to probably a 150 clip assuming nothing weird happened during it, but I just remember I, that I saw that he did that. So I was curious how he did. Um, and, uh, he was a shell of himself at that point. And I don't know, you know, cause there could have been variables involved in that, but yeah, you're not, you're not going to replicate what you do in faster workout sessions. I'm not doing anything, you know, close to what my potential is. And nobody is at that stage. Do you row differently? There was, I thought the guy you were going to reference, there was this British, uh, rowing coach, who's big on YouTube and people were asking him about high rocks for him. He'd answered a bunch of questions about it and then went out and did one. Oh. And then he ended up splitting like four thirty nine or four forty. He's like, I spent 17 minutes on the sleds and I got to the rower and I couldn't row. And I was a little wrong. And he was, he was real humble. And he was just, he's like, I was a little wrong on some of it. And I can see now why some of the top guys row with the form they use because you can't drive your legs like you normally. So yeah. do you row yeah. differently in competition than you would outside of competition. Yes. You get to it, you go in there and it's like anything that you were doing in training to prepare for it, you, you're not applying it at that stage. And I think that kind of goes back to like what Hunter was alluding to in a way and what he was like talking about. And he was kind of 
maybe it was like a dirty high rock secret to the 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 rowing focused world but it's like to us yeah it's like you get on there and it's like you're not doing forms it's hard to replicate that i i'm sure it was decent i mean you look at that and you get like those images those like sporting images afterwards <laughs> and you just look everybody you look like gar you know it's like you're holding it like like a t-rex arms like you know like that's not how i'm supposed to be like at that stage but who knows like what's going on at that stage but uh and I remember I was like right next to Eric Hinman and I was like kind of watching him a bit like, okay, what's his, what's his clock at? I was like, okay, I could probably, do I, am I able to close in on him? So there's other stuff going on in your head too. Mm. It's like, you know, you're, you're kind of getting a lay of the land at that point. Cause you, you're, you're all in the same place after not being in the same place for a while in the event. Mm-hmm. Well, Matt, I have more questions I could ask you. I feel like we just probably have some life catching up to do as well, but, uh, we're getting there, unfortunately, at the two-hour mark. So yeah. I'm very invested in how you do for do some reason. Do I get reason. to sneak one in? Of course you do. Oh, yeah. I, I'm wrapping us up with a with a cushion here, Bracken. But um, I am very invested in how you do coming up. I will say that. I'm very excited to see you out on course, which is going to be fun. Oh, yeah, Thanks. for sure. I actually wish you kept us in the loop more on your social channels, only because like that's how people like know about what others are doing these days. You and I don't text regularly, we'll call it. So it'd be fun to keep keep tabs on i you. yeah i could do a better job on the, the socials but i mean i I'm hopefully maybe maybe this will will get me into the triple dodge <laughs> triple digits and then I'll, <laughs> my, my, my tens of followers shoe but, deal uh, it's so it's so hard because it's like you you guys know how this is because I, I don't sense it's your personality it's just not my personality and i go in these like phases where i'm like okay i'll share all this stuff and then i'm like oh like is that am i being like is this a little over the top am i being like kind of full of myself i don't know and, and yet i don't i don't think that of anybody else but it's like for me like presenting that stuff out there i'm kind of like oh gosh like is this is this cringe as the kids would say <laughs> probably but i started actually and i did actually ramp up my social media presence a couple of months ago because concept two was like doing this thing looking for ambassadors so i was like oh man i need to like be out there i could do this like i, I think i'd be good at that and so i was like i'll start throwing out and then i'm like they, i'm sure they saw through it and we're like all right this guy we're not doing listen that. You don't need to post stuff on social media. You can just send me direct videos. I don't care. I just want to know what's going on. I don't care about your social presence. Don't let's not make it too weird. But like, I just want to keep. I just yeah. want to follow along. That's got all. It, man. Um, Bracken, I know you got a. I know you got a question you want to squeeze in there before we end. I do. So, of because of all the guests we've had on, I would say you have the highest marker in both columns of maxing out your running ability and maxing out your machine ability. Like I don't I don't think you would look back and say you hit your full ceiling in either, but you saw your ceiling, I'm sure. You could touch it. So having maxed out your running and felt what all the running training did and then maxed out to an extent your machines, your non-impact work and felt what that did. What is your opinion on how much running fitness can you drive from the machines so that when you pick back running up and you get over the rust, how much of actual fitness is waiting for you there? Unfortunately, I don't, I don't, I don't think it was as much as I had hoped. Um, really? Yeah. Cause I, I think there's the, the, I went to the ergs for the non-impact and, mm-hmm. and I, and I early on getting back into running cause it was like three, fa- three times that I took a break and then went back into running. And each time it was just, it was getting that pounding again, getting used to it. And, and it just didn't translate as much as I hoped. Um, and also even the engine aspect, I had hoped that the like cardiovascular benefit 
and getting used to like the ski erg especially. But it's like when I when I get in shape on the ski erg and doing like long sets at like sub one fifty clip, which is what's what you would need for like a one to be a competitive one K in the high rocks, but my heart rate was pretty low like in the one thirties, like it really efficient. And then I start running and it's like, it's like a, it's a similar effort in running. My heart rate's going to go 20 plus beats higher. And it feels like it's like pounding out of my chest for that initial period. And unfortunately I just don't think it translated well. Um, I would actually, and that's where I'm, it's almost eye opening now with the strength training that I, I wonder if like, if I were in like a position where I was injured that I couldn't run, I would almost think that doing strength training of some sort would be better to do on my downtime before I get back on, get back to running. If I had if between the two yeah. for me, I, I would think that I'd be better off just hitting the weights, doing like lower, um, high volume, low weight or something like that to, okay. to keep it up. But I, unfortunately, I... when you got over the impact and learning to wear that again and get back into the flow of where I can run now. Did you then get to access your machine work or were you still feeling like there's not as much here as I thought? Well, cause this was like probably back in the fall was when that experiment didn't really pan out. Cause I, cause I did exactly what you did. I was like hoping I'm like, okay, I'm coming off of doing a lot of, I did all strength training, some erg stuff last summer. Cause I wanted to, that's when I put on most of my weight and then I tried getting back into running and it just it was plodding along, wasn't translating well. Now, and when I came off of this past high rocks, took a little layoff and got back into running in April, I just did everything at once. Just start and actually I kept I kept my my routine of erg work with strength training. And then I actually just started waking up earlier in the morning to fit in like a little four or five mile run. And there's like I like I was getting up at like 3.30 in the morning and getting out the door with like my headlamp on at 3.45 to run, then get home and then do like my regular routine that I've been doing the last uh, couple months prior. And so it was just like doing all the same stuff and then just throwing this in. Okay. And uh, I mean, what's hard with this conversation too is because I don't, I don't know. It might, you know, as far as from a competitive standpoint, how I'll perform when it all comes together for high rocks. Right. You know, so it's hard to, so I'm going to ask you then a question someone asked me last week. If you just ran every day aerobically for a year and raced a 5K, or you ran every day aerobically for a year and did all the anaerobic work you wanted on machines and raced a 5K, would you see a noticeable difference in your 5K run? If I were just training on the ergs versus running every day? No, you, you're running every day in mm-hmm. both scenarios, oh, but gotcha. only aerobically. Gotcha. But in one of them, you add in anaerobic on the machines. Would you have a noticeable 5K run difference for you personally? Hmm, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I I don't I don't think it'd be a big difference. I okay. really do. It's not um, what I thought you were going to say. Yeah, I. But I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, I. Um, you know, because I, I was so because when I was 36, when I did like the Wisco Mile or whatever, and I was like, I wasn't running that hard during the time. I threw in like some like short efforts, and I ran like a 418. <laughs> And right now, now granted, I'm a few years older, but I don't think I could, I don't think I could do that with like the erg stuff. I had to be like more specific running and the amount of volume I was doing. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's probably what makes the difference is, I guess, what the, because you said equal volume though, too. Equal volume in both. Yeah. Just adding in the spice of the ergs. Would you be 
any better. Maybe I answered that wrong. Then. Yeah, probably. I mean, maybe it's a bad question. Yeah, I guess because because obviously you're 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 then challenging yourself. So just from like grit and intensity. I mean, if you're not having any intensity at all for the duration of a year, and then you get then you have no intensity, but then except for on the machines, I guess I guess you'd have a higher pain tolerance. So yeah, maybe. But so you going back to college, you wouldn't add any of these machines in back then to try to be a better no. runner. No. Nope. Okay. All I know is every time I go through cross-training blocks, if I'm injured, and I've gone through a few of them over the years, um, you're right. feels like absolute junk. The piano lands on your back very early in your first runs back. and But that engine, there's something in there. And then when you turn that corner three, four, five, six weeks back to running, you really like you make a pretty big jump pretty quick. Whereas if you weren't doing anything, you know, I think that that return is much slower. I just don't think you can access your fitness right away because you take so much muscle damage from the impact that you haven't been doing. You're not even able to access yourself aerobically. And then finally, when that comes around, I feel like the corners turn very sharply and quickly, but I don't think it helps at all in the beginning when you first return. It's just like the impact wins. You can't access. Yeah. I think that's how I'm interpreting it too, yeah. is that I just, yeah, I just haven't seen the like, cause I, cause I've hoped for that Bracken. I was like, Oh, this would, this would translate. And then it's like, no, like my running, it was, it was a different animal. And it's surprisingly, cause I was going hard on these machines and I was like, okay, I'm going to start running a little bit. And it was like, it felt like it was like from square one. That's interesting. And I don't know. And, and there might be other, but I think maybe Kirk's right. Like event, maybe that, maybe if you were looking at it, like over a longer duration and maybe I did, to seek the benefits, it just came a little bit later. I, I, maybe I was just greedy and impatient early. That's how I've seen it. And just that efficiency piece, like your body's so used to other biomechanical processes and other range of motion and tracking with a rower in the erg. And it's just like, I think it helps. It's just like, you can't exactly, you're not going to hit your first run and be like, yep, I'm right where I should be on the run. It just sneaks in later somehow where like you're suddenly in a place where you shouldn't really be, but somehow you got there with your running. And I think it, it just a little subjective when it when it finds itself yeah. and, I'm, and i'm very careful about like how much i don't have a lot of time and so it's like if i'm gonna if, if i had five minutes to like run really fast to try to get you know that benefit to get to increase my speed versus i mean i probably have to do like a 30 minute long session not not a 30 minute row but like 30 minute worth of like intervals or something on the rower to probably get right a similar mm-hmm payback and like i said so i don't know if i would yeah i don't think i would put it in because i think that time would be better spent running that makes sense or like i said in hindsight looking back i, I wish i had done more strength training because i do think that that would have translated and been helpful down in the past well matt tis the time to wrap this thing up but uh I'm excited. I'm excited for people to hear this in fact i might even eventually reach out to dave and see if he wants to chat about staying fit in, in your forties. Cause he's been killing it too, but it's, um, it's been good to catch up. And, uh, I guess where can people not follow you or find out what you're doing or however you want that to look? <laughs> well, one, when I had like a spell of thinking like that, maybe I'd be uh, a hit on the socials. I do have the, what are they like? Is it just like your IG sure. tag or sure. Let's yeah, just, I don't know yeah, sure. like all this stuff, but I think I'm, 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 I'm erg at home dad. Erg at home dad. Erg at How home did that dad? not blow up? Blown up. Well, it was also like going to be Erg beta because I thought, you know, I have like the, 
I'm sure like, especially in like the hybrid circles, it'd be like perceived as like a beta <laughs> male, like with my reverse gender roles. I was like, all right, so I'll be like erg beta because erg data is like the concept to like a uh, app for all the metrics. I was like, no, I don't, that might be perceived wrong, but no. So erg at home dad. There'd be like 27 people who would love well, it. Well, I'm, I'm, maybe I'll get uh, those 27 followers and I'll be like, um, that, that'll get me close to a hundred followers. But yeah, I, uh, I don't know, I can't promise that I'm going to have another post for a couple months, but maybe I'll throw one out there. So you have almost as many American records as you do social media followers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or outside at some point, yeah. That's solid. I respect that. I respect that too. <laughs> well, thanks for your time today, Matt. It's been great catching up. And uh, I'm going to be creeping. I'm going to be following along. Likewise. So. Likewise. And hey, congratulations, Kirk. Uh, you got what five weeks that you tie the knot? Oh yeah, it is five weeks. Good math. Five weeks tomorrow or a couple days. Yeah, thank you. I'm going. I'm right. going in deep. And then we're. Uh, and then we're. We've been talking. You guys were talking about kids and Jess and I. Because I'm 40, right? I don't have any kids. I'm getting a late start, but we're gonna get to work on that right away. And I'm hearing you guys talk about these 3 a.m. wake ups and 1 a.m. wake ups, and I'm like, you guys are you really selling me on this? this story here but so I, I that's all in the back of my head now too with it so thanks for uh giving me the right frame of mind in the future it just as long as you are don't watch tv and i don't really you'll be fine or at least eventually it'll just be kid shows as bracken knows i think movies are a waste of time i was watching high school musical before i came down here <laughs> you should wait till you get to bluey bluey is high quality entertainment <laughs> all right we're done with this Thanks, man. All right, guys. Thank you so much. 